0: If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And James goes on. I like James. He likes to tell it like it is. He doesn't mince his words. And uh, you know, in antiquity, that's what a real friend was. Someone who would say, hey, you're screwing things up. But I'm with you. Or actually, I've noticed this need in your life. Let me actually help you. That's what a friend was, not just someone you add on Facebook that you met once. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as we have real friends, right? So, I want to focus on mercy triumphs over judgment, which in Greek is just three words. Um, but it's, it's really important not to just read those three words and then make stuff up, right? Like, they're in, and, and there's a whole letter. I just, I didn't even read all of the second chapter. I just read part of it. You could read all of James in probably 20 minutes. There's five chapters four minutes a chapter, you could probably read it all. It's worth rereading again. <laughs> Don't just spend 20 minutes on it, but it's worth, it's worth putting it in context. And part of the reason for that is words have different meanings in different contexts. And also we all attach different meanings to different words, right? If I say love, everyone in this room will think of something just a little bit different probably we're going to have some simil- broad similarities right but there's going to be experiences in your life that you have experienced as love or not as love that no one else has had and that's going to inform the meaning that you attach to that word same same as if i say father or mother or brother or sister or friend or teacher right we're all going to we're going all going to have some general similarities but there's also going to be a lot of differences um, and this becomes really obvious if you've ever played pictionary or apples to apples or charades particularly if you play those games with your in-laws because families spend a lot of time together right and so they all have like years and years of shared formative life experience that contribute to how they understand certain words. Right? So, I, when I try to play apples to apples with the Ninibers, I lose every time. <laughs> I do terribly. I just, I don't even, I gave up trying. Because the way they attach meaning to words is different than the way I do. Melissa, I, on the other hand, has given up trying to win at Pictionary with my family because charades, sorry, charades, and Pictionary. My brother one time drew a line and two other lines like that in Pictionary, and I said chicken. And I was correct. (laughs) And Melissa was like, I think with my dad or something, and it was, (laughs) he's not an artist, and they don't think similarly, so that was just a losing team, a team destined to fail. But it was very enjoyable for the rest of us, and hopefully for them as well. So the whole point of that is the way that people communicate has particular meaning, right? And so we're trying to read a letter that somebody wrote to some other people like 2,000 years ago in a very different place in a very different time. Um, So we need to be aware that there's like maybe some distance. What I think of when I think of mercy and what I think of when when I think of judgment may not be exactly the same thing that James is meaning. So I have to, try to, I have to try to think like the Ninevehs. I have to try to think like James. And fortunately, the Holy Spirit was there, and he's here with me now. So I'm not on my own doing this, right? And you're not on your own. Um, so that, that, that phrase in Greek is katachame uh, eleos krisis. And, yeah, it's a mouthful. And actually, you know what? The great thing about ancient Greek is nobody really knows how it was pronounced, so you can just say it however you want to say it, <laughs> and no one can tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> there, there are some limits. but So for me, this was crucial to, to helping change my understanding. So I'm going to go over this really briefly. I spent, like, days and weeks in the library going through all this stuff. We don't have time for that, do we? And a few people, like my wife, are giving sighs of relief. For me, that was really fun. I get excited about the dictionary, like looking words up in the dictionary and finding out their their roots and the etymology. I love that. Not everybody does, so I'll give you the digest version. So triumph over. We'll start with that. That's actually the first word in the Greek phrase, because things are mixed up. triumph over. That can mean arrogant boasting. It's actually a really rare word. It's only used three times in the New Testament in James 2:13, James 3:14 and Romans 11:18. And in uh, the other two uses, it means arrogant boasting. so it's a bad thing. Uh, it can also mean to glory against. Uh, that is the KJV translation of James of the use in James 3:14, which is still a negative context. Uh, and it can also just mean an expression of comparative su- superiority. One thing is better than another thing. and that's what it means here in, in James 2:13. Judgment is a little less straightforward, Croesus. It has a whole range of meanings and is translated in different ways at different times. One thing it can mean is a, a matter under consideration, so something you're thinking about. It can be the process, Uh, of making any decision, making a judgment, the process itself. It can be the decision that's reached through that process, and more specifically, it can be the decision reached by a judge in a judicial legal context, or it can also mean the administration of justice. Uh, And it may also just mean the opinion or decision given concerning anything. (laughs) That's a pretty big range of stuff, right? where God is concerned, God's decisions, we would say, are just, right? That seems to be the idea that the Bible gives us, that God is just, and when he makes a judgment on something, it's not skewed, and he has, like Amanda was saying earlier, uh, an, an internal omniscient perspective. He sees a whole lot of stuff that we don't see. and we kind of, So we kind of have to trust him, right? have to trust him that sometimes it doesn't make sense to us and that's hard for me so maybe i don't understand justice as well as i thought i did but i have to trust god um i I actually it's i love amanda that image that you shared because it's exactly what i wanted to say about justice is that justice is not a blind person a blind woman with a sword in one hand and scales in the other That's the, that's the image that we usually have. You know, it's in front of, like, almost every courthouse. And it's this frozen statue with this mechanical scale and a sword and a blindfold. Do you think God's blind when he administers justice? No. That's why he's just. Because he sees everything. And if we want to be just we can't be blind we have to see things the way god sees them we have to look with we have to ask him to give us his perspective and that's what james talks about james james says uh when the rich people come in and the poor people come in and then the community obviously the community isn't the rich people because they want to get the favor of the rich people. Like, oh yeah, come and tithe at our church. Donate here. Yes, have this wonderful nice seat here. Oh, you're poor, you have nothing to give us, so... Meh. It says, they become judges with evil thoughts. They're making judgments, but they're doing it with the wrong frame of reference, right? They're doing it with a superficial earthly frame of reference with a limited perspective that is not God's perspective. They have needs. This church community has needs. They need money, just like everybody else. They need need stuff. They need clothes and food. Rich people can help provide that. But that means they're not actually trusting God to provide for them, doesn't it? Their entire frame of reference is we need to take care of ourselves. God's not taking, taking care of us. So, here's what we got. Here's what we got to do. So, I love that image of taking the blindfold off. It's noticing what God notices. Noticing the things that are important to God. And kind of putting, okay, what I think is just, what I think is fair, I'm going to put that to the side for a minute. I'm going to trust that God is going to show me what the just thing is what the right thing is, what's going to bring life here. Lastly, but not leastly, mercy, Eleos This is a word that will break your heart if you let it. And I suggest it would be wise to let that happen. For one thing, it it means a kindness that's owed in mutual relationships. We don't really think of mercy as something that's owed, usually, do we? Like justice. that's You owe this. That's fair. You owe justice. Right? Mercy is... Often thought of as this like the suspension of justice isn't it the opposite when somebody's done something wrong and they don't get punished that's mercy maybe maybe that's part of it but that's only part of it if it is because it's also a kindness that's owed in mutual relationships when you commit to somebody else especially in the context of a covenant like God makes with us, it's something that you kind of agree, yeah, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this for each other. So in a a lot of ways, being merciful is just kind of doing what you've agreed to do. If you said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, then being merciful is just doing what you've agreed to do. And in that way, it's actually lined up with justice a whole lot more than at least I thought it was. Yes, God, I want your mercy. Please forgive me for all these horrible things I've done. Like I say every day. (laughs) But if I want that, I have to also give that. Or, as James says, judgment will be will be without mercy to anyone who's shown no mercy. I don't have to I don't have to show mercy. I don't have to receive it either. If I want to receive it, I need to give it. And the great news is that God offers it freely and we can receive it and it's not like something we have to generate in ourselves. That's part, that's part of the good news of that. <laughs> it's a challenge, but it's not like an impossible challenge because you're not alone. So that, that's one aspect of it. A kindness owed in mutual relationships. It's also showing love. It's compassion or pity. It's, it, is, it is an emotion. And in, in it doesn't always have to be, but sometimes it, there might be an emotion attached to it. It's a disposition and an action, an attitude, and something we do. We, we often spiritualize mercy, don't we? Like, mercy is forgiveness of sins, period. That's part of it. I don't want to throw that away. That is part of it. But if that's all that our idea of mercy is, then we've missed out on a whole lot of stuff. And that's not what James is saying. James is saying, people come into your church, treat them as humans. Not according to the car that they arrived in or the clothes that they're wearing or the potential of their bank account to fund you. They're humans. They have value. They have needs. Like the example he says, if you if you tell someone who's hungry and naked and homeless, you're like, "Oh, be fed." Be be warm and well. And pray for them. You have not blessed them. You've done nothing for them, and you've probably done actually harm. I'm not saying you guys are doing that. I'm just picking up on the the way James says it. (laughs) If we do that, I think we all do that. I know I do in various ways, not necessarily literally with someone who doesn't have food and clothing. But it's easier to pray about stuff and not do things, isn't it? James is saying, yes, pray about it. Bless people. But do things. (laughs) Help people. Mercy is helping people. Mercy is making a tangible, material difference in people's lives. People have needs. Mercy is meeting those needs. We have needs. God meets us in our need. Interesting that James doesn't say anything about uh, why that person was hungry or thirsty or in need of clothing or shelter. You know why he probably doesn't say anything about it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if that person is an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if that person is a drug addict. It doesn't matter if they've made terrible decisions that have brought them to that place. So, has anybody heard this definition of mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. That sounds really good. It preaches so well. And I don't like it. <laughs> not because it's not true, but because I I think it's only partially true. I think that is true to a ex- certain, certain extent. Some Yes, mercy is in some situations, not getting what I deserve or somebody else not getting what they deserve. And grace sometimes is getting what I don't deserve. So what, what I deserve in many ways is punishment and death, and I don't get that. And what I don't deserve is blessings in life, and I do get that. So that is true, but it's only part of the truth. I think mercy is also doing something to make things right. That seems to be what James is getting at here. He says do something. Be merciful. There's not a technical obligation for you to take care of the poor. There's not a law that says that, right? Unless you're a follower of Jesus. And then he's, he says, do this. This is very important. I care about this a whole lot. And grace, grace isn't just getting stuff that I don't deserve, passively receiving things. It's also being actively empowered to do what I couldn't do on my own. So there's there's more to it. And like so, I don't want to throw out those, you know, those uh, catch phrase sort of definitions. But there's just a lot more. There's a lot more there. Mercy is also doing things, and grace is also being being empowered. There is a receptive element, but there's also an active element. All right, let's let's read a couple more Bible verses that for me also help put this in perspective. Jeremiah 9:23 and 24. the lord says let not the wise glory or boast in their wisdom nor the strong glory in their strength nor the rich glory in their riches but that let those that glory glory in this that they understand and know me for i am the lord who shows mercy judgment and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight Mercy, judgment, and righteousness. That is God telling us explicitly what He loves, what He delights in. The word judgment there can also be translated justice. And that's because God's judgments are just, right? God loves mercy, justice, and righteousness. Not one of those things at a time. All those things together. God's not like a split personality where sometimes he's feeling just. He's like, yeah, today's a justice day. Yeah. And then the next day he's like, I think today's a mercy day. (laughs) Feeling good. Just let it slide. I'm going to the beach. Today will be a mercy day. Don't worry about it, guys. That's not God. He is an... I haven't listed them all, but I can give you a list of many, many, many other Bible verses where God describes himself as these things. He is merciful. He is just. He is righteous. These aren't just things that God does or that he wants. These are things that God is. They are part of his being. And the reason that he shows himself to us in these ways is because that is who he is. These actions flow from God. The way that he interacts with us flows out of his nature, his being, his character, who he is. God doesn't have to do things to be righteous or to be merciful. He does things that are merciful and righteous because that's who he is. So that's God talking to us about who he is and what he likes. Zechariah uh, 7, 9 to 10, says something similar, but a little bit different. The Lord of hosts says, execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion, everyone to another, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against another in your heart. That's God telling us what He wants us to do. He's empowered us to do these things. We 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 have power to make decisions, right? We choose how we treat people around us every day. Our families, the people that we live with, our friends, our coworkers, the people we pass on the street, fellow motorists. Cyclists, pedestrians. We make many, many decisions. God's saying, execute true judgments, which you can't do if you're blind, right? If we're walking around like this, I don't want to see, I don't want to see, ignoring people. We have to see to execute true judgment. And we have to see what God has seen. It's going to take practice. But he also says, show mercy and compassion. That's part of being just. Because that's how God is, and that's how he treats us. Don't oppress people. Widows, fatherless, strangers, the poor. This is challenging. In general, James... uh, talks about two ways of life. We kind of have two options. And here's where there is kind of a stark dichotomy. I don't think justice and mercy are opposites, but according to James, these two things are opposites. Friendship with God, you can either be friends with God or you can be friends with the world. You can't be both. Because if you're acting in one mode, it's the opposite of the other. And God says to be merciful and just. These are both things that are involved in being fri- in friends with God. Just as, as, like, mercy, as I said earlier, part of the definition is a kindness owed in mutual relationship. Friendship with God involves mercy. There's no, we can't throw that out. That's not an option. It's not, this was, this is like, crush, like, crushed me. It's not optional for me to be mercy. I don't get to choose when I'm merciful. I gave up that choice. The, fr- the the world says, "Oh, I'll choose who I'm merciful to, who I'm kind to. I'll choose which relationships I sh- in which I show kindness, and it's to the rich people that can help me because it's all about me." That's not how God acts. There is there is a, a cost to mercy. Right? It's costly. It's risky. I think maybe part of, part of what real mercy is, is when people don't have to earn our love. When I don't have a scoreboard that says, well, you were annoying this morning, you're kind of, blah, blah, blah. okay, but you did such and such and such and such, so I guess we're even. That's earning love. Right? So I'll be nice to you. That's an earned, that's a relationship based on merit and earning stuff. And that can feel good because it can feel like we're in control, right? Especially like, oh, if I do the right stuff, good things will happen. I want to be in control. I want to do, I can want to take the right steps to make the rewards and the blessings and the life come, right? Living in the paradigm of mercy changes that. But the amazing thing is it actually makes it easier to do the right things when we're living with a paradigm of mercy. When I'm not trying to earn love myself, it's easier for me not to require other people to earn my love. When I was studying this, I was um, driving back and forth every day from the library, and I happened to pop into the CD player in the car this United Pursuit album, this old United Pursuit album that I had lying around. I would never listened to it before, and I was kind of sick of the other one that it had on repeat, so I switched it up. And it happened to be... That this album was a live album, so they kind of like, you know, it's, it's live music. There's like eight-minute songs and ten-minute songs. And they kind of like get on a train, and they just keep riding that for a while. Um, and one of the things, the core refrains that they repeat over and over again is, it's your love and mercy. It's your love and mercy. Speaking to God, it's your love and mercy. It's your love and mercy. And I've been sitting all day in the library, filling my head with all sorts of Greek and scholarly reams of, of, of research and work. And I get in the car, and I have all this in my mind, and then this music is just like repeating what I've the core of what I've been studying all day. It's your love and mercy, God. And I just wept every day driving. I get in the car, I'm like, all right, feeling good. Bah! Study all day in the library. Get in the car on the way home. Bah! You know, it's really hard to be upset with someone who cuts you off in traffic when you've been studying about God's mercy all day. <laughs> like there's just like maybe like this little twinge, and you're like, oh, you shouldn't have. Uh. I was, I, was in a, I was more peaceful. And it wasn't that those things were right. It's not that obeying traffic laws and being a safe driver isn't a good thing. That's justice and it's safety, right? That's righteous order. That's good. So we shouldn't, people shouldn't be violating that. But I also don't have to freak out about it because that's not actually going to rectify the situation, is it? but I will honk my horn at someone if they're going to hit me. That's not the opposite of mercy, right? Like, hey, hello, I'm here. Don't run over me. So mercy doesn't mean that we just let everything slide, right? It means that we do actually do something about making things right. But we do it the right way. Punishment usually doesn't actually make things right, does it? Putting someone in jail doesn't solve that they stole something or that somebody's somebody used to be alive and now they're dead. Putting someone in jail for the rest of their life does not solve the problem of murder. Now, part of the idea is that we'll keep people safe from this happening again, but it's still not really solving problems, is it? It's kind of like treating things at a surface level. Mercy is a way that goes way deeper. I'm going to wrap up and pray in a minute. And we're going to have some ministry time as well. But for me, it was very important to realize that mercy isn't just letting justice slide. It's not just the absence of something. It's not just the absence of punishment. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the creator who fills the cosmos in all creation. Mercy is in action. I, I don't think I'll just I'll I'll give an extreme example okay we can dial it back from there but sometimes it's helpful to go to an extreme to see that maybe what we thought applies to everything doesn't I don't think the child that's crying on the garbage dump because their mom was raped and now has AIDS And can't take care of this baby, and left it at the garbage dump. I don't think that child deserves that. How could how could a baby deserve that? And yet, every single person is born into a hurting world and experiences pain. And gets hurt and wounded and starts to live out of that reality so when I don't show mercy to people who are probably just acting out of their own fear or pain or shame it's like walking past a baby at the garbage dump and just leaving it there to die well it's not mine I'm not the father. I'm not the mother. I have no legal obligation towards that child. I am not the legal guardian. I did not adopt it. I'm not planning to adopt it. It's not my fault. I have done nothing to contribute to this situation, ostensibly. I would feel like I was doing something very wrong if I left a baby on the ground to die. You can call it mercy to pick up the baby, you can call it justice. I think it's both. And I think that same thing applies to most of the situations in our lives, our daily situations where somebody's snippy with us and we're like, mm, "I don't like that. That that hurts me." You know, it's it's never going to be convenient to pick up a baby and then have to like keep it alive and help it. There's there's a cost in that, right? There is a cost. You know, it costs something to be nice to someone who's being rude to you, right? Uh, For me, there's a cost to letting go of the, the person who cuts me off in traffic, or like speeds up to pass me only to get to the red light half a second sooner than me. Thank you for almost causing that accident. That was really worth it but it's not worth it to hang on to it either. So there's we have we have so many opportunities to exercise mercy in our daily lives and also in addressing systemic things where people are in poverty not because of any decisions they've made. People are have no access to clean water not because of any decisions they've made but because they're born In somewhere at a time where they don't have that and I happen to be born somewhere else did I have any control over that no do I deserve that well nobody deserves to be without water that they can drink safely that's not how God designed us These these are that's a this is a big issue, right? Like world poverty, hunger, massive things. Mercy is addressing those things and we we as a church have a responsibility to do that. There's not obvious ways to do that. Like one really attainable thing to do is to sponsor a child in another country through any number of great agencies. My wife and I do it through Compassion, Compassion Canada. that's like just a little thing but it's an obtainable thing and then perhaps even more well I don't want to say more important but more uh, more in the daily grind of life is just how we treat each other